Yeah, so the reading today is in Acts 14, um, and it'll be on the back of your service sheet. Uh, you can follow along. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw that Paul had done, saw, saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lycaonian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with their crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news, that you should turn from these vain things to a living God, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with, good, with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tri tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And you skip on to verse 26. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. This is God's word. Yeah, we've just read Acts 24. And if you've been here in previous weeks, we've been working through basically the book of Acts. And God setting up his church, establishing people and sending them out on mission. And that's essentially the church and what it was created to do and we're going to think about that today and what it means to us because we've been here we've been worshiping God and it's great to come into the presence of God it's great to proclaim the wonderful truths which we all know but in reality to live by them and to put them into practice and in the midst of opposition to cling to what we know is true can be much much harder than we really feel it should be or what we would like it to be last summer um, me and my family we all went to Cornwall we went to St Ives for a holiday and we went there 
under this beautiful beach. It was absolutely fantastic. And we went in July when the weather was really, really good. So fantastic weather. The water was fairly warm, much warmer than it would be here. And it was great. It was great. And most days we spent time on the beach. And the tide would go out quite far. And it would come in. And when it came in, it would come in fast. And most of the days when we were there, the tide would be coming in. And there's many days where we're lying on the beach and you see the tide coming in. So what we did, get the spades out, start digging a big hole, making this big massive barrier across, this big sandbank across to hold back the tide. As the tide would come in, the waves would hit the sand barrier and you'd have to pile more sand on them, build it up and build it up and build it up. And it was good fun. It was hard work, but good fun. And the reality was there we were battling against the tide. And the reality was it was sort of, we knew we were on a no-win situation. Like we just, you know, what we were trying to stop, what we were being in opposition to seemed way greater than us. And for Paul and Barnabas, as they were sent off in this missionary journey, it must have felt a bit like that too. It must have felt like they were battling against something that was way greater than they were. Because here they are in their first missionary journey being sent out by the church at Antioch. Everything's in full flow. But everything they did where they seen progress, where they seen the church growing, the next thing, the believers were facing opposition. And here we see, as we come to chapter 14, chapter 13 finishes from the Jews opposing this message of the gospel, opposing the ministry of Paul and Barnabas so much that they had to leave Antioch. They were forced to flee. At a time when everything should have seemed good, people were coming to faith in Christ, the church was starting to grow, they had to leave. Everything seemed to just fall apart all of a sudden. Chapter 13 finishes on a note where it says the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Now that is amazing. Here we have these two men living really in the faith that they believed. Having joy of Christ in the midst of what they'd hoped to achieve seeming to be coming against opposition that was so great. But Paul and Barnabas kept going. As we see in this chapter 14, they kept pressing on. And what we want to look at for this short time we have together is we want to have a, a quick sweep. It's a very long reading, what we read, so don't worry. We're going to have a quick sweep through this chapter. And we're going to look at two things about Paul and Barnabas and their ministry. And the first one we're going to look at is that the gospel of Christ has opposition. For anyone who's a believer in Jesus, who knows about this gospel, who hears about this gospel, the reality is it will have opposition. But in the midst of that, Paul and, Sil Paul and Silas, sorry, Paul and Barnabas kept going. Because what they realized is they were in a battle. And in the battle of Christ Jesus, in the battle of the gospel, there's no middle ground. There's no fence to sit on when it comes to the things of God. 
Because Jesus Christ, the very name of Jesus Christ, divides opinion. You go into any room, anywhere, and you start talking about Jesus, you will divide opinion. Because people will be forced to accept the truth of Jesus or reject it. And Paul and Barnabas, they're in Iconium. They've now left Antioch. And when they arrive there, they go into the synagogue and preach, we see in verses 1 to 3. They go in and preach a message which people can understand. And it tells us that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. People heard the truth and they responded to the gospel of Christ. It's an amazing message. We've sung about it. I'm, I'm so tempted to go into, let's just talk about the gospel and spend all our time here this morning talking about what Christ has done for us. But those of us that have a faith in Christ, who have given our lives to him, have our own testimony of what he's done for us. And here was people coming onto the message of Christ, giving their lives to him. But again, there was opposition because it was unbelieving Jews. We see in verse 2. And it says they were poisoned. They were stirred up against this message. And they stirred up many, many other people against them. So here's this opposition coming against them. The stirring of the enemy against the gospel of Christ. So what do Paul and Barnabas do? Verse 3. They remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord. That's an amazing testament to their faith. They're being opposed. They're coming under pressure. They're being poisoned, as it says here in the passage. But they remained and spoke boldly for the Lord. They kept going because they believed that what they had to share was greater than what was coming against them. And while they're speaking boldly for the Lord in verses 4 to 7, we see that all these groups of people who are opposed to them were starting to come together. We were getting this alliance of common enemies coming together against the gospel. Now this was a way back, first century AD, the start of the church. Here we are 2,000 years later. And what is the church facing? What are God's people facing? We're facing opposition, not just from this group or that group. It seems that everybody out there in every walk of life, from every background, is coming together against the message of Jesus, against this gospel. And Paul and Barnabas were potentially the first group of people who were facing this. And the crowd was getting together with the rulers of the area and they were planning to mistreat them. They wanted them dead. They wanted this message stopped. They wanted this gospel of Christ Jesus wiped out. That was what they were facing. So now for Paul and Barnabas, now it was time to move. And they fled, the Bible tells us, to Lystra and Derby and the surrounding country. And when they got there, what did they do? They preached the gospel. They went to a new place. And the first thing in their hearts and in their heads was, here's more people. More people. Let's tell them as well. 
they kept reaching out because they know that the gospel that they believed, the gospel that had transformed their lives, was a bigger message than any of the opposition that was coming against them. They knew the person of Christ Jesus and the salvation that he could offer them was the answer to every problem in every area of society. It could all be found in Christ. And they knew this. But God's Spirit was with them. Just knowing that what who God is and who Jesus is isn't always enough. Because we're weak. We struggle. But we see here that God's Spirit was with them. Because in verse 8 to 10, when they're in Lystra, God performed miraculous healings through these two men. This wasn't a magic power that they had. This wasn't something that was off themselves. This was God moving by his power through willing people to reveal himself to those who would hear. God was using the miraculous for his own ends, for his glory. And very often when you go out and you chat to people and you would ask them about God or ask them about Jesus, there's always a very common response can be, you know, well, you know, well, if I just had a sign from God about something, if he would just show me something, I would believe. I, I would believe. You know, if, if, he, if he healed this person or if he raised that up or if he would give me the shining light fr from heaven, give me, if I had that miraculous sign, I would believe. We've heard that. We've, we've all heard that. People have, yeah, we have pledged. So here we see God give a miraculous sign. Verses 11 to 13. How did people respond? They started creating Paul and Barnabas as false gods. They were deceived. These miraculous signs were designed for them to see the one true God. But they totally missed the point. They started wanting to make sacrifices to these two man-made gods that they had just created in their pagan beliefs. Make their pagan sacrifices so that they could worship these men in their terms and continue believing what they believe while trying to embrace this amazing God. They were rationalizing a heavenly act and bringing it into human terms to suit what they believed and they understood. They missed the point. Their hearts were deceived. They'd seen the miraculous and were amazed. But yet in their hearts, they couldn't see it because their hearts belonged to something else. Their desire was for something else. Their focus wasn't on God. And I think that's often why God doesn't give us the miraculous signs to demonstrate to people. Because for people, it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what they see. It's a heart thing. And we live in a world where hearts are deceived. They're deceived and they're blind to the things of God. And it's only by God's Spirit can people know and see. But thinking of this from Paul and Barnabas, there's no doubt that they were tempted here too. That the opposition from the enemy was hitting their hearts. Because here they were going into a new region. And then all of a sudden they become the two most popular guys in the land. 
everyone is flocking around. Everyone is holding and putting him up in this immense pedestal and bowing down and worshipping. What a great opportunity that would have been to tell people, to lead by example, maybe to walk them along this road to the things of God. You know, wouldn't that be a good way to, to, to use this situation for God's benefit? It was a temptation. And yet they were tested at the heart of what they believed. Because they were coming from a Jewish background. Paul was really, really Jewish. And the number one law that they had in Exodus 20, no other gods before me. And that was the very heart of where they were tempted here. And I think for us to think this just washed over them is probably a wee bit naive. <laughs> Temptation for them to embrace this and use this for their, their benefit would have been real. Thinking back to last week to Elymas, um, who was trying to create a real image for himself. You know, if he had been put in this situation, what would he have done? He would have milked it for all he had and took everything he could for his own glory. But we see in verses 13 to 18 that they immediately take the honor off themselves. They tear their clothes. They humiliate themselves in front of all these people. They thought, it's not about us. And they then go into this message where they point to the one true God. I'm not going to go into it today, but that's a whole other talk on its own. It's just amazing how they just point everything, everything about what we see, who we are, what we have, and potentially lead to the hope that we have to come is all about Christ Jesus, all about this gospel message that they're proclaiming. So here they are trying to calm these people who are trying to make pagan sacrifices in their honour. Then all of a sudden the Jews arrive. Verses 19 to 22. Now these Jews arrive from Antioch. So I looked this up in the map. Antioch is 85 to 90 miles from Iconium. And they've just left Iconium, which is a further 20 miles to Lystra. So they have come in the region of 105 to 110 miles chasing these guys. After hunting them out, the Jews now arrive. Now these Jews would have come and their whole issue with Paul and Barnabas was that they believed that they weren't worshipping God the way they should. The God of Paul and, Bar Paul and Barnabas was the same as the God that these Jews had. But yet what are these Jews coming to do? They're coming to destroy. Instead of supporting them for being obedient to God's law and holding the first commandment, in spite of the temptation that they had, Paul was taken out and stoned by people who are supposed to be God's people. Taken out, stoned, and left for dead. These guys had traveled halfway across the land to destroy the message of the gospel. These were allegedly God's people. But even though they were soaked in religion, they were soaked in the scriptures, their hearts were still deceived. It wasn't quite the same as the pagans. But they were deceived that they actually couldn't see the message of God. They couldn't see the salvation of Christ, God's Son that had come. They still wanted to go about their religious practices in their way, doing their thing. 
not surrender their hearts to God. And that's a big area that the enemy uses to bring oppression and testing against us. It's the heart. Sometimes it's not these big things where we see massive things happening and we can say, oh, we don't agree with that. We're going to stand against that or we're going to, to come against that. Sometimes it's much more subtle. It's the heart. Because that's the bit of us that can really take us away from seeing God, who he is, surrendering our own hearts to following him. In verse 22, they say, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. As God's people, we're in a battle. As God's people, there will be opposition. There will be struggles. The ultimate battle is for our heart. Who do we have our faith in? And who do we want to put our trust what is the message burning within us that we want to live it out and share it with other people? Paul and Silas then moved on and Paul went to Derby. And again, after this incident where he'd been left for, for dead, which we'll look at in a wee moment, he then went on. What did he do again? Preached the gospel. And it says they made many disciples. What was it that these men had that enabled them to keep going? The opposition they faced was vast. The temptation and struggles that they had was mighty. But yet they were able to keep going. To keep going. And that's a struggle that we have. Sometimes when the opposition just seems way bigger than we are. When I was standing, digging on the beach, digging this hole and building this barrier... I soon realized that it didn't matter how quick I dug or how high I built this sandbank. The tide was going to win. I couldn't win in that situation. And the thing is, I should have knew that because a lot of the time when we were on that beach, we were in the water and we were bodyboarding. And there was these big waves you should just keep rolling in and rolling in and rolling in. And one of the greatest sensations I don't know if you've ever done bodyboarding or surfing. It's when you're out there and a wave comes in and it just picks you up and just washes you and carries you all the way in to the shore. You don't actually do anything. You just grip onto the board for grim death at times. But you just hold on and just feel this mighty power just wash you all the way in. And once you get carried and get moving, there's nothing stopping it. There's no like, oh, I'm going to stop now halfway in. No, no, you're, you're there and you're getting carried all the way. It's not a power that we have. This is the power of something so much greater. And the perspective in the mind of Paul and Barnabas wasn't of guys standing trying to dig a hole and make a barrier to hold back the sea. From their perspective, they're the ones riding the waves. Because they knew the gospel of Christ has the power to overcome anything. That's what kept them going. That's what made them pick themselves up. 
and keep going. That's what made them, when they were chased from one place, to go to somewhere else and thinking, who can we reach now? Just like those waves coming in and overwhelming. To live in the power of God's Holy Spirit is like riding those waves. Nothing is going to stop them. No amount of digging or work or labor or anything in front. The greater power is in the gospel. The only thing that has the power to overcome every situation is the gospel of Christ Jesus. Paul and Barnabas knew this. They were living by this. They knew that what they were doing was God's work. They knew that the message that they were sharing was the message of Christ and the power of his Holy Spirit. This gospel message could and would and was changing lives. It wasn't something they had made up. It wasn't something they were trying to create. God was simply using them to speak his message into people's hearts. And we see that God equipped them to do it. Because again, if you look, read through verse, um, verse 4, that through the Holy Spirit, God used them to do signs and wonders by their hands. To live by this gospel, God equips us to do it. It's not something he's given us and saying, there you are, that's all you need. No, his Holy Spirit goes with us. Paul and Barnabas were given a mission to go on and God equipped them. After they left Iconium, in verses 6 and 7, God led them safely to Lystra and Derbe. And again, doors opened. Gospel opportunities came their way. They were looking to serve God. They were looking to reach. And the doors opened. They were on God's mission. This wasn't a mission that they were doing themselves. They were on God's mission. The determination that they had to keep going was God's determination. The message that they were sharing was God's gospel. The strength in which they did it was through his Holy Spirit. In verses 8 to 10, it talks about the crippled man. And it says here that the crippled man listened. As Paul was speaking, the crippled man listened to what he was saying. We can make a fair assumption of what Paul's talking about here. We can probably make a fair assumption of what Paul is saying that this man hears. And it is the gospel of Christ Jesus. And as this man listened, Paul saw his faith, it tells us. This was a Gentile man. This was a man who would have come from a background where he would have probably known all about these false gods and we would have known about Zeus and we would have known about Hermes. But now, this man has a faith that Paul can see. Where did this faith come from? It can only come from one place. Hearing the message of Christ. Hearing this life-changing gospel message is what gives people faith. Because it's a message on which we can put our faith in. It's a message that comes with power and authority to change lives. 
because there is real life-changing power in the gospel of Jesus. That, that's, that's not something that's up for debate. We can probably all testify to that. Those of us that know him, have faith in him, can stand and testify to the life-changing power of Christ in us and what his Holy Spirit has done in us. It has changed us from being lost to found. It has changed us from darkness into light. It has changed us from being dead in our sins to being raised in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. That's the gospel message. That's the salvation we have. And in verse 19 and 20, we see an amazing demonstration of this resurrection power. Because these Jews have traveled over 100 miles. They've taken Paul. They've stoned him. And it tells us they've left him for dead. Now, if I was going to stone somebody, and if I had to travel 100 miles to get them, I'm going to make sure I finish the job. They're not going to travel all that way and leave a half-done job and then go. You'd, you'd make sure, after going all that way, that you did what you came to do. Paul, says here, is left for dead. So when these guys go, they're happy with what they've done. They have now disappeared off the scene. And we see that the disciples gather around, it tells us. What did he do? He rose up. This man who was left for dead, it's probably fair to assume that he was dead. He rose up. He went into the city. And the next day, he travelled to Derby, which is only a mere 60 miles away. So from this guy being lying in the road, dead or as good as dead, the next day he's walking over two marathons. And what's he going to do? What's he going to Derby to do when he gets there? He preaches and makes disciples. He builds up and helps establish the churches before starting to make his way back to Antioch through all these places where he'd face the opposition to report back to those that sent him. Now, if that is not a demonstration of how big our gospel is, then I don't know what is. We have a Savior who rose from the dead. And he promised us that we will be raised with him. Well, in Paul, this was a physical thing which was happening here. He was raised from death to life so that he could bring this message to others, build up the church and encourage them. What an immense faith he had. What an immense gospel that he believed in. What an immense testimony he would have had to share these things. But the message that Paul shared, the gospel that he believed, is exactly the same as the gospel that we believe. It, it hasn't changed a lot of things in culture have changed the way we do things have changed but two things that haven't changed the message of the gospel and the saving work of Christ Jesus and the opposition that we face they're two things that haven't changed but when they were back in Antioch verse 26 it said that they were commended to the grace of God for the work they had fulfilled. 
we look at people like Paul and Barnabas and think that they were, they were special people with a, a special calling and a special anointing. And what they were able to do is way more than what I could do. It wasn't about Paul and Barnabas. It was about the grace of God for the work. That little phrase. It was all about the grace of God for the work. As we seek to live for God, to live out our faith, to, to grow in our faith, we don't do it in our own strength. We don't even do it in the strength of one another, even though we can be an encouragement to others. We do it in the grace of God. The saving grace that saved us from our sins, that took away the punishment that we deserve, that gave us new life in the resurrected Christ. The transforming grace of the Holy Spirit which lives and works and changes us and renews us day by day that we will one day be like Christ when we see him. The supernatural grace that gives us the strength and the power and the authority to face these trials, to face the opposition, to fight this battle of the heart that we all live in each day so that we're ready for the work, the work of living for Christ Jesus, the work of sharing the gospel message in those that we meet, in the way that we live and go about our daily lives to everyone. The gospel that we have is bigger than any battle we face. It's more powerful than anything that can come against us. Like Paul, like Barnabas, we're called to embrace it with our hearts. Not just part of our hearts, but all of our hearts, all that we are. Embrace it in its fullness for the greatness that it is and keep going, keep living for God, keep serving Him, keep pressing on because we have something that transforms lives, our own lives and the lives of those that we meet. What we're going to do now it's just take a moment of stillness before the guys come to sing. And we're also going to come around the Lord's table. And as we take the emblems of the bread and the wine, we're going to remember what Christ has done for us. But we're also going to think about what Christ is doing in us. And we're also going to just receive God's grace this morning as we worship together as we take the bread and the wine together if you're a member of foundation church or belong to another church and you're walking in fellowship with christ jesus you're welcome to come and take this this is for you this is for you to receive this grace of god today as we take the bread and the wine together is yours Let's just take a moment of stillness before the musicians come and just ask God to speak into our hearts. Maybe we're in a place where we're facing battles, where we're really struggling in the battle for our heart. Maybe there's other circumstances in our life which are just really hindering our faith and our walk with God. We just pray that God by his spirit will strengthen us. Pray that we can just ride those waves of God's almighty power as we seek to live for him and serve him.
Lord, you know our hearts. You know the circumstances that we're in and you know where we've been and you know the path that you've set before us to walk on. Lord, we pray that you will help us to live fully in the gospel of Christ Jesus. To fully trust in your power. To fully give over all of ourselves in surrender to you. That you may use us to reach. You may use us to shine a light in the world in which we live. Lord, you may raise us up as your people for your work and for your glory. Lord, continue to stir our hearts now as we worship and we break bread together. Speak to us, Lord, and may your Holy Spirit come upon us. May we just be renewed by the grace of God upon each and every one of us this day, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.